So how's, how's everybody doing? Do you have a good, I know Brian already asked, but everybody have, have a good Christmas, good, good time with your families. And hey, I just want to thank you. I know that even some churches, some of my friends take, took this weekend off. Like they just took a break from doing church uh, for the week between Christmas and New Year's because it is one of those weeks where people are traveling. Uh, some of you woke up this morning and you saw the rain and you thought my bed just feels a lot better than going anywhere. Uh, but you made a good choice, man. You made a good choice to be in in God's house this morning. So let's give each other a hand for being the faithful chosen few today. Thanks for hanging out. And, and to be honest, we, we anticipate this. We've, um, we're, we're only, uh, we're coming up on two years old, but we've been going long enough that we can start to see some trends on when attendance kind of goes up and down at different times of the year. And, and uh, so this is tr- traditionally all across America, one of those Sundays that, that people tend to have some other things going on. But e- for us as a church, we're a little bit different than some other churches in that January will even be a little bit lighter than normal. And then February for us, uh, momentum picks up and we take off and things get really crazy up until Easter and uh, so we're going to take advantage of that, going to get into that here in just a second, kicking off this new series called Remind Me. Before we do that, though, I have to share um, some report with you, some good news. Uh, just want to let you know how our Season of Hope campaign went. How many, how many participated in Season of Hope this year? You were, you were a part of that? Awesome. <clears throat> so I just want you to know, we, you guys did the best job that we have done so far as a church. Um, I know that we've only been in this theater now. This is our second holiday season. But even before that, when we were a launch team, before we launched in this movie theater, we took part in Season of Hope um, as, a, as a community of about 30 or 40 people. And, um, and so by far, this is the most successful year we've had. I've got to say to the lead team who organized all the different pieces, that's really the reason why it was better. So good job to you guys. And, and um, uh, you, you guys knocked it out of the park. And um, so we gave away nearly 50 boxes, shoe boxes, during Operation Christmas Child that went around the world for kids who otherwise may not have had a, a Christmas gift. Give yourselves a hand for that. Good job. <clears throat> Alex Group and I went and uh, we hijacked his in-laws minivan and the two of us dropped off 428 pounds of food at the Delaware Food Bank a couple weeks ago after our food drive. You guys did that. Uh, we gave, um, I think I counted 30-something coats and hats and scarves and all those things in a big tub full that, that you guys gave away. You've been giving through World Vision uh, to people overseas and children and families and helping them make a difference around the world. And so I just wanted to commend you, True Life, on our Season of Hope campaign. You've been generous. And uh, listen, it's one thing for a church to talk about being generous and to have all the speech, it's another thing to actually do it and to put action with it. And you put action with it. And uh, so good job, you guys. Proud of you. Proud to be your pastor. We did a great job during a season of hope. Can we give God a hand for what we were part of during season of hope? Come on, you got to go extra with the... <laughs> there you go. All right. There you go. All right. So that guy that makes all the weird sounds every Sunday, yet yeah, we let him work with your teenagers. Isn't that encouraging? All right. So, uh, so let's jump back. Let's get back into the message today. Like I was saying uh, a little bit ago, in February, we will actually have the opportunity to celebrate our second anniversary as a church. That's just a month away, guys, and we're going to throw a, a big fat party. We, we've already started working on it with our, our lead team. It's going to be a really great day here at True Life. You do not want to miss that. It's going to be February 9th. 
we're going to throw a party here and celebrate our two-year birthday, our two-year anniversary as a church. And, you know, there's a lot of reason to celebrate about that. I think we should party all through now, all through the month of January, because 90% of new churches fail within the first year. They're gone. And, uh, and so here we are coming up on year number two. We've seen growth. We have people giving their hearts to Jesus every single week. Come on, somebody. You're part of something special. God's doing something great here. And, uh, and we're still around, baby. Leaky roof and everything. We're still here. So, um, so, so that's going to be a big deal. And, and it's also February marks the time of year, especially for our church, like I was saying. And really, most churches across the country will tell you that after the new year, they see a bump in attendance. They see a spike in people who are coming to check out their church, visitors who are coming. Because you've got a lot of these New Year's resolutions and different things like that going on. People finish out the old year and they realize something's missing, something's not quite right. And church is one of the places that people go. They're looking for answers and, and they're looking to get off on, to a fresh start. And, and, uh, and we especially see that start to happen when all the college students come back to campus from winter break. Um, and that, that app, February 9th, will be that first Sunday that, that we start to see that rush some will come back a week ahead of that, but that's really where we'll start to see that rush happen. And so what that means for us, True Life, and what I want to try to spend the next several weeks posturing us for and getting us ready for is we have a huge opportunity. I mean, it's huge. Look at the person next to you and say, you have an opportunity. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to have church today, all right? So, <clears throat> so, so you you got to preach at them now. you got to look at them and be like, you got an opportunity, all right? So... Because so, we do, we have a huge opportunity to, to reach people, to change lives, and I want to make sure that we posture ourselves correctly, that we're ready for it. And so in prayer, as I was um, knowing that we're getting ready to head into that season, and, and we've got our season of prayer and fasting coming up, we'll spend 21 days together as a church in a season of prayer and fasting, and just seeking the face of God together. And I know some of you hear the word fasting, and you think that's a cuss word, um, but it's not. You can, There are... Lots of different ways. That you, in fact, every January, I do 21 days on what's, what's called a Daniel fast. And, uh, and so I just go without meats or sweets. Um, what is it, babe? No meats, no sweets. I guess that's it. No meats, no sweets. And uh, if you're hardcore, you stay away from dairy products as well, um, anything that would come from an animal. So I just stick to fruits and vegetables. Um, our blender gets a workout because we make smoothies like crazy. Uh, with frozen fruit during that time of year. And, uh, and then I, I, we just put some extra emphasis on seeking the face of God during those 21 days. I'm inviting, I'll invite all of us as a church to participate in that. And Because uh, listen, everything else we do, everything else we talk about, it doesn't mean anything if the power of God doesn't show up. You with me? Amen. I mean, it just I can't change a life, you can't change a life, good music can't change a life, but the power of God can change a life. The power of God can transform a situation. It can heal a broken marriage. It can, it can fix your past. It can get rid of the regret. He can do all of that stuff. And so for 21 days, we put some emphasis on inviting the Spirit of God to show up in the new year. And, uh, and I'm also going to be inviting everyone to fast social media during that 21 days. <gasps> you can do it, I promise. And what we, Because what I think in our culture, what we've done is we've made a habit out of running to the, to the phone or to the computer instead of running to Jesus. And uh, so for 21 days, I think we need to practice running to Jesus. Are you with me? Come on, you with me? It's going to be good. And so it's, it's very easy. Here's, here's the deal. It's very easy to kind of fall into a, a, I don't want to say a rut, but a habit of just 
you can kind of just attend church and you just attend church. And it's a part of your routine and it's a part of your thing and it's part of what you do. I, I, I've told you before, I played baseball for a couple seasons when I was a kid. I was terrible. I hated it. I know that makes you un-American to hate baseball, but I hated it. I hated baseball because my parents didn't get me involved when I was little, like T-ball and all those things, so I never got a chance to learn the game correctly. They threw me in when I was like 10, 11 years old. They're throwing the fast pitch, the ball at me. I'm freaking, and I just, I just wasn't, I was kind of a nerd. I was into music. I played the drums. Come on, where are all my music geeks at? You All right. And then they stuck me out in left field, man, and... um. No, right field. Which one gets hit to the least? That's where I was. Right field. I'm out in right field, and, <clears throat> and I'm standing out there with my glove, and I'm just, you, you know, I'm, I'm in my own little world out there. I forgot why I was there. You know, I'm like playing with the bugs in the grass, picking my nose. I mean, you know, my parents, they're in the stands. They're just embarrassed. They're like, oh, my gosh, yes, that's our kid inspecting his boogers. Oh, no. And, um, and then I remember the coach and our coach would yell, Hey, Hey Smith, you remember you're here to play baseball, right? There's something for you to do. And I'm like, not really. I'm in right field. There's not a lot to do. You know, I think sometimes church can become that way for us. We're kind of just, we're there, but we don't really know why we're there. We, you might even at, at times have the, the right uniform on and have the right look and you got your baseball cap and your glove, but you don't even know what to do with it. You're just kind of there. It's become a part of the routine. And what I want to speak to during this series is kind of just reminding us why God put us here, why God put this church in Newark, why God put this church in this movie theater, because it's very easy to just attend and forget what we're here for. And I would say one of the ways you can kind of just do some self-examination this morning, and, and I, my goal is not to make anybody feel guilty, but I think it's important to ask ourselves from time to time, why am I here? What am I doing here? And, and if there's no more depth to it than the music's good, I mean, it is good. <laughs> it, it is good. Isn't it? Come on. Those guys are good. But there's got to be more to it. Than, and it, the, I know something like, because the pastor, he's so handsome, and I just like to hear him talk. Why are y'all laughing? Now, there's got to be more to There's got <laughs> Excellent. Better have been my wife. All right. <laughs> There's got to be more to it. And we need to know why we're here and why we're doing what we're doing. When you attend True Life, are you participating and partnering with us in the mission? And I would just say, if not, the goal is not to make you feel bad. The goal is not to make you feel guilty. But I do want to make an appeal to you, and it's simply this. Man, we need you. We need you. There is something that God has created and designed you to do. There's something that you're a 10 at. And, and not very many other people are a 10 at that thing. And whatever it is, we need you to come alongside us and become a partner and serve the mission and serve the vision and help us build the kingdom together. You're here for a reason. And my prayer is that this series will get all of us red hot. I mean red hot around the vision around the mission, and that all of us would be able to answer the question, why am I here? What am I doing here? What is it that God has designed for me to do, and how can I partner with my church family in the mission, in the vision of reaching Newcastle and Cecil 
and Chester County. You know, that's, that's where we pull from. We have three counties right now that we predominantly pull from. Newcastle, Newcastle County, Delaware, Cecil County, Maryland, Chester County, Pennsylvania. That's where most of Come on, where are all my Newcastle peeps at? You, come on, give me, a little, give, give me a little something. Where are the Cecil County people? Give me some. Oh, yeah. We got any Chester in the house today? All right, so call your friends that live in Chester. That's the smallest demographic, but they are, they are here from time to time. And I'm not even going to make fun of you Cecil County guys today. I'm not going to do it. I'm done with Cecil County jokes. <clears throat> you know, but you know, I was telling somebody, you know who gets offended at Cecil County jokes? Delaware people. Y'all are so politically correct. Like, you can't do that. You can't make fun of people. Well, I'm making fun of you now, so how do you like that? All right. So in our church, our vision and mission and this, we're not unique in this. I think probably 90% of churches, if you were to ask them, what is your vision or where does your mission come from, their response would be that it comes from a, a specific scripture in the Bible that we call the Great Commission. And it's important that we understand what the word commission means because it's not just called the Great Mission, it's called the Great Commission. You know what the, when you add the co, that means we're doing it together. We're in it together. We all have a responsibility together as a family to accomplish the Great Commission. And it comes from Matthew 28, verse 19. Let's read it. It is Jesus speaking to the disciples. This is his last instructions to them before he leaves. And he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're using the written notes, I think you should underline the word therefore. I'm going to come back to that in a second. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this. I love this part. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So let me just give you the mission or the vision statement here at True Life Church. And, and if you're writing, taking notes, you should write it down, man. This is, this is important to know. This is why we're here as a church. We're here to lead people to experience a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ and to become fully devoted followers of him. What does that look like? It means we want to find people who don't know Christ, who are not a part of a church family, who are not plugged in. We want to get them here. We want them to be a, be a part of what's happening here. We want to lead them to Christ, see them get into a relationship with Jesus, and then we want to help them find what they were uniquely gifted and designed to do in the kingdom and give them the opportunity to do that because that's where we believe you become a fully devoted follower. That's where discipleship really takes place is when you begin to serve the kingdom. And that's really, I mean, if you had to strip everything down and you say, what are you here for, Michael? Why is true life here? We're here to reach lost people and to help them become the best followers of Christ they can possibly be. That is why God has put our church here. That's what we're here to do. That is a great place to amen. Come on, are you with me on that so far? All right, we're here to reach people, to lead them to experience a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. And any, now here's the deal. Like I said, a lot of churches would tell you the Great Commission is where their vision statement comes from. And I love that, the Great Commission. I love the instructions Jesus gives. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. And I've heard this, this passage preached over and over and over and over again because it's so powerful and it's so meaningful. But I think sometimes we miss something, and it's in that first word, the word Therefore. And that's why I told you to underline it. And here's a little trick when you're studying your Bible. Anytime you see the word therefore, you should ask what it's there for. Ah, you see what I did there? That's cute. But it's true. 
Anytime you see the word therefore, you should ask yourself, what is that therefore? And to know, we've got to back up a verse. So we're going to go backwards for a second. And I want to look at verse 18, Matthew 28, 18. He says, therefore, go and make disciples. What's the therefore? It, verse 18, it says, Jesus came and told his disciples. So he gathers all the guys, gathers the followers around, gathers them around. He says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And that verse is in your notes. I would underline and circle the word authority. Jesus says, I've been given all authority. Now, I just, I need you to catch this this morning because Jesus didn't gather disciples together and say, hey guys, I got a good idea. Go make disciples. Hey guys, I think it'd be really fun if we like, let's turn this thing into a worldwide religion. Let's go make some disciples. No, he says, hey God, some translations he actually says, God the Father has given me all authority in heaven and on earth, and, I'm, and he's essentially saying, I'm passing it on to you. Now go do this. In other words, what he's saying is, hey, guys, dad has put me in charge of the family business. I'm calling the shots now, and it's time for us to get to work. And by the way, I'm going to send a comforter after I'm gone the Holy Spirit, who will fill you with power and walk with you. And I'm imparting this authority to accomplish this great commission together. And I think a lot of times we see the great commission, therefore go make disciples, and we get all fired up about that. But we forget that without the authority of Jesus Christ, getting fired up about that mission doesn't mean a whole lot. It's through the authority of Jesus Christ, the Son, that we're able to step into the world and say, hey, I've got an answer for all of it, and you need to hear it. And what I'm concerned with is that increasingly, in our, especially in our culture, in our country, that the church of God, the church of Jesus Christ, has lost its ability to speak with authority. And we got to get the authority back. Because Jesus gave it to us. Come on, don't y'all want to be in a position where culture looks to the church to find the answers instead of trying to make the church fit with the culture? I mean, wouldn't that be something powerful? If they were running here saying, okay, we can't figure this out, what's Jesus say? We could tell them. Because God the Father put Jesus in charge and he's passed the authority to us. And I just got to tell you, church, I'm just, I'm sick and tired of seeing Christians walk around and try to make everything fit perfectly with the culture. We have to embrace culture. Jesus did that. He loved culture when he showed up. That's why he spoke and taught in parables. He did, but we still, we can do that without sacrificing the authority that's been given to us by God. I mean, do you understand the power that's in that? That you have authority, and by the way, with authority comes responsibility. So there's this tension for me when I look at that. It's all good and exciting. Just talking about our vision, that we're going to reach and lead people to experience a life-giving relationship with Jesus and to become fully devoted followers of him. I could talk about that for days and stay fired up about it. I, it, just, it just does something inside of me. The idea of people who don't know Jesus, finding Jesus, and then finding fullness in their life with him, just, it just makes my heart speed up. Could have been the coffee. But I think it's the vision. It, just, it gets me fired up. It makes my heart race. But there's some tension here with this. It gets me excited. 
And I'm concerned we've become great at championing, championing verses 19 and 20 to get everyone fired up, but we've forgotten the why. And the why is that we've been commissioned under the authority of God to do his work. And that authority has been imparted to us. It creates a problem in our country's current culture because there's a lot of people that would, especially being on a college campus, there's a lot of people that would tell you, you can't, you can believe you're right, but you can't really know that you're right. I mean, nobody's really right. There's no... I mean, nobody really knows what the absolute truth is. We, there's no way to know that. Are, come on, are you kidding me? We, <laughs> there absolutely is an absolute truth. Is that Jesus Christ loves us. He died for us. We are sinners and apart from him, we're doomed. That's an absolute truth. Heaven is, he- is real. Hell is real. But in our culture, it creates tension because while we want to speak with authority, the world is pushing back on us and saying, yeah, but you can't really be right. Nobody's really right. We even saw it with all the controversy recently that made the news because one guy, he may not have done it in the nicest way, but he spoke up about what he believed in. And culture tried to, tried to push back. But how many know, I think the kingdom won this round. You even know I'm talking about little Phil Robertson. I think the kingdom pulled one off on this time around. It was kind of fun to see. Here's the deal. I think even in secular culture, if you get someone to be really honest with you, I think there are starting to be some cracks, some fractures. That people are starting to understand that this world that they're living in of no absolutes and no clear truths is actually more exhausting than it is helpful. I recently came across a video clip. One of you guys, I don't remember who it was, somebody posted it to Facebook, and I'm going to share it with you this morning because I think it's an indication that that even in secular culture, people are starting to, there's an opportunity here. People are going, maybe this doesn't all work. And the, the, the quality is not great, but this is a, a poet by the name of Taylor Molly, and he's, <clears throat> he's talking about the same thing that I'm talking about this morning. Where has the authority gone? Why is no one able to speak with authority? I want you to ch- check this out. New York City. I want you to give it up to my man. Holding it down. Y'all gonna, y'all gonna like this cat. I like this cat a lot. Give it up for my man, Taylor Molly. In case you hadn't realized, it has somehow become uncool to sound like you know what you're talking about. (laughs) Or believe strongly in what you're, like, saying. (laughs) Invisible question marks and parenthetical you knows and you know what I'm saying. I've been attaching themselves to the ends of our sentences, even when those sentences aren't, like, questions. Declarative sentences, so-called because they used to, like, you know, declare things to be true, okay? As opposed to other things that are, like, totally, you know, not. (laughs) They've been infected by this tragically cool and totally hip interrogative tone. As if I'm saying, don't think I'm a nerd just because I've, like, noticed this, okay? I have nothing personally invested in my own opinions. I'm just, like, inviting you to join me on the bandwagon of my own uncertainty. (laughs) 
has happened to our conviction? Where are the limbs out on which we once walked? Have they been like chopped down with the rest of the rainforest? You know? Or do we have like nothing to say? Has society just become so filled with these conflicting feelings of that we've just gotten to the point where we're the most aggressively inarticulate generation to come along since, you know, a long time ago. So I implore you, I entreat you, and I challenge you to speak with conviction. To say what you believe in a manner that bespeaks the determination with which you believe it. Because contrary to the wisdom of the bumper sticker, it is not enough these days to simply question authority. you got to speak with it, too. I apologize for the video quality. There's only so much you can do when you're ripping off YouTube. But, uh, <clears throat> man, isn't that interesting that even in secular culture now, we're realizing there's a lack of conviction, there's a lack of authority. And I love what he says. That, Is it possible we just don't have anything to say? Well, hey, can I tell you something, True Life Church? You've got something to say. You've got something worth repeating. And you've got the authority of the almighty God that should be attached to every word and every action that we live out as Christ followers. And what I want to figure out, man, is how do we bring the conviction back? How do we bring the authority back? How do we speak with it? How do we make a city sit up and pay attention? Not because we deserve it or because we're special, but because we're part of something that's unexplainable and unattainable without the help of God. Don't you want to be a part of something like that? I do. I mean, it's really not even worth it unless we get to be a part of something like that. Because we've got something to say. And the big question of the day, the big question of this series is, how do we speak with authority? Because we have it. I just don't know why we don't use it. Jesus even said it in Luke chapter 10, verse 19. He says, look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. All means all. And you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. That's a good promise. The next time somebody's trying to attack you because you had the guts to stand up for your faith, just remember, baby, I can walk with snakes and scorpions. You can say whatever you want. Keep talking. Keep talking. I speak with the authority that comes from Jesus Christ. Beat that. And you can't. And listen, we've got to live lives that give us authority. You want to be a church that has authority? It comes down to us. How? I want you to turn to your fill-ins there. Turn to your blanks and your notes. Because there's three main areas that we're going to cover over the next several weeks of this series. And I, I, I truly believe that if we can nail it in these three areas, we can become a church that is speaking with authority to our community, to our coworkers, to our neighbors, 
We can lead people to the love and the grace of Jesus Christ, and we can do it with boldness and with no apologies. That's what I want for you. So here's what we need. I think we need these three things. Here's the first one. Number one, we need clear vision and values. Clear vision and values. You know, if we're not all seeing the same thing, if we're not all headed the same direction, we're not all going to end up in the same place. So we've got to have a clear picture, a clear vision of what it is God has called us to do. A friend of mine says it this way, that we'll never see eye to eye unless we're heart to heart. And this, that's really what I want to do today. Is I want, as a church family, I want to begin the process of making sure we're heart to heart. That we have the same vision. That we have the same picture of what's ahead of us. And I already gave you the vision statement that we're leading people to experience a life-giving relationship with Jesus and to become fully devoted followers. And I'm going to actually spend the rest of today, after I give you these three things, talking you through what our values are as a church. They come from one of the first launch team meetings that we had, uh, gosh, it'll be, what, three years ago in April? Where's Kevin at? Is that right? Am I getting my dates right there? Okay. (laughs) He's just a magical voice. I can't see him, but his voice appears out of the room. That's pretty awesome. <clears throat> and, and so we got together in this room of people and we broke up into groups with a piece of paper and we just said, write down what the perfect church looks like to you. Write down the adjectives that, des- that would describe the perfect church. And from the answers, we formed what are the core values here for True Life Church. So I'm gonna talk you through those here in a little bit. Here's the second thing that we need. We need a clear mission. Mission and vision, they're connected, but they're not the same thing. And we're gonna talk through what the mission statement is Next week, a little hint, some of you guys chant it every Sunday. We need a clear mission. And the third thing we need is a clear path to partnership. A clear path to partnership. And so in a couple weeks, I'm going to talk through what it means to actually be a partner, to be have skin in the game, and to be a part of what's happening in our church family. Here's a hint, and you can help me with it. It involves this thing we do all the time called Life Track. We took the month of December off, gave everybody a break, but we're coming back in January. Well, uh, next Sunday will be our very first Life Track session of the new year. And I would encourage you, maybe it's been a long time since you've been there. Some of the vision is just kind of, you've, you've lost touch with it. Come through it again. Here's a crazy idea. If you have a friend or family member that's been checking out our church, but they just haven't made that jump yet, you grab them, you say, hey, I'll go with you. I'll go eat some pizza and listen to Michael talk with you. Let's go do that. In fact, church, if I could just be really honest with you, it's, it's, an, it's a need that we have, and I need your help. I need your help with creating some buzz around what we do in our life track sessions. And so I'm inviting all of you to show up at any session, anytime you want to, just to be there and rub shoulders with people who are new to our church family and help them make some relational connections and let them know that they're welcome and that they're cared for and that you, you, it matters to you how things go for them. Because this is not my church, this is, this is yours. You with me? It's yours. So I, I can just tell you, it would warm my heart to see people who have already been through the classes and who call True Life home just to pop in every once in a while and and make some newer families feel welcome and at home in our church family. You you have no idea how far that would go and how inviting that would be. Can you can you can we do that together? Can we partner together? Can it not just can is it possible that church could just not be about what I get out of it but what I put into it? Cuz I need your help. Our lead team, we need your help. We need you in it with us. And so we're going to talk about that, a clear path to partnership. It involves life track. 
but it's, it's a lot more than that as well. <clears throat> Here's a question for you. This might, it's going to ruffle some feathers when I say it, but just relax. It's okay, all right? I promise. Did you know <clears throat> that if you call true life home, we actually have some expectations of you? As your pastor, I have some expectations of you. If you call this church your home church, there's actually this, it's in your Bible, there's this system of spiritual leadership and all these, and accountability. And and what it means is that when we come together as a church family, there are some things that we should always be kind of looking at and helping. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron. That's why we do small groups so that we can always kind of be measuring ourselves against the word of God and pushing each other forward and pushing each other towards looking more and more like Jesus Christ. And, and there are actually some expectations of each and every one of us, including myself, who call True Life Church home. Look at the person next to you and say, uh-oh. <laughs> Y'all are like, seriously, uh-oh. We do. We have some expectations. In fact, what I thought would be kind of fun today, because I could just give you our core values in a list, in list form, and, and try to give you a great sales pitch on them and why they're important, but I thought it'd be, I thought it'd be more fun to come up with a creative way to talk about our values today, and, and I was talking about Joel with this, and, and uh, it's kind of corny, but kind of on purpose, and so here's what I thought we would do. I thought it'd be fun for us to do is let's talk about if we could describe what the perfect true lifer looks like. What would it be? If you call true life home, what does the perfect true life member look like? And yes, it involves plaid button downs. All right. Now, so what we're going to do now for about 20 minutes is we're just going to stare at a picture of Kevin Twitch. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what, what does it look like to be the, the perfect partner, the perfect member of true life church? Now, here's the disclaimer. Obviously, none of us are perfect, including me. Every single one of these areas that I'm going to talk through are areas that all of us are going to fail at times. What I'm hoping is that as we work through them today, there's one or two that the Holy Spirit kind of nudges you and says, come on, we can work on that one together. Let's get better at that one. Let's make 2014 the year that we get better at this area. So so that's what we're going to do. All right, so you ready? Here we go. The perfect true lifer. (laughs) The perfect true lifer has, number one, a commitment to being authentic a commitment to being authentic now i actually think when we talk about authenticity and being authentic is one of our core values that it's a word that's misunderstood oftentimes because i think sometimes we think we see that word we think authentic genuine oh i'm that i wear my emotions on my sleeve i say what i'm thinking i'm not afraid to share my opinion i'm the same person everywhere i go and i i'm just me and if you don't like me deal with it and we somehow, we've become confused that that's what it means to be authentic, and that's not what it means to be authentic. In our church family, when we talk about authenticity, what we're talking about is authentic Christianity. Being an authentic Christ follower. Do you have anybody that's into like, like buying antiques and, and things like that in the house? Anybody know? All right, so there's a, there's a system, if you're into that, of knowing whether or not what you're getting is genuine or authentic. And so my question today would be if if uh you know I bought I got this case that holds my tablet and when I bought it there was a tag on it that said genuine leather. You know what that tells me? It's really leather. 
It's not fake. It's the real deal. And so if you, I just, here's the question. If you want to be authentic, if you want to have authenticity, if you want to live life with a commitment to authentic Christianity, what you're saying is that if at any point somebody were to look at the tag on me, what would it say? Would it say genuine, authentic Christ follower on Sunday, but not so much Monday through Saturday? Or is it, or am I the real, am I the real deal all the time? Now, like I said, there's, there's grace in this. All of us fail at being authentic at times. But you know what? I want to lead a church of people who are passionate and committed to learning what it means to really serve and follow Christ with their whole hearts. And that every day of our lives, we're working towards that goal. It's a misunderstood term. And at True Life, when we say we want to be authentic. We're saying we want to be people who really follow Jesus. That means we're following him when everyone is watching and we're following him when nobody's watching. Because who you are is what you do when nobody's watching. No such thing as a secret. And that's what authenticity is all about. Here, just a few things for you. An authentic Christ follower loves Jesus, loves people, obeys God and his word, and hates sin. That's what an authentic Christ follower does. I didn't say you never sin, I just said you hate sin. If after you commit sin, you have that feeling of, oh, why did I do that? That's a good thing. You should. An authentic Christ follower, I'll say it again in case you want to write it down, loves Jesus, loves people, obeys God and his word, and hates sin. I mean, that's just as simple as we can make it. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a, say it, new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. I'll just sum it up this way. To be authentic means to be true to the new person you've become, not the old person you were before Christ. Guys, we gotta do it. We gotta make 2014 the year that we say, you know what, I'm more committed to the new person that Christ has created in me than I am the old person I was before I met him. No excuses. I don't get to say things like, this is just the way I am. It's not just the way you are. Jesus changed you. So live out the new you. Come on, are you with me this morning? I know this is, I'm getting in your business. I'm meddling a little bit. But we've gotta have a commitment to being authentic. Here's the second thing. Number two, a passion for being relevant. The perfect true lifer has a commitment to being authentic and a passion for being relevant. Now, relevance another word that oftentimes gets confused with the word cool. And as much as I try, I, I just I know I'm just not that cool. But I can be relevant without being cool. True life church can be relevant without being now we have a lot of cool people. There's a, there is definitely a coolness factor to what, go, I mean, we're in a movie theater for crying out loud. Beat that screen. I mean, Pat, can we have the, can we watch the Super Bowl in here? Can we work that out? That'd be sweet. I'm opening Pandora's box right now. <clears throat> Relevant is not the same as being cool. Here's where I think relevance comes from in the Christian walk. 1 Corinthians 9.22 Paul said, when I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. 
You know, the word relevance actually means pertinent. It matters right now. So if we're to be a church that's relevant, we can't be afraid to talk about relevant issues. That's why we're not afraid to talk about same-sex marriage and and same-sex attraction. And we're not afraid to talk about pornography and and adultery and and all those things. And by the way, if you've never heard me say it, as someone who's in a same-sex relationship or dealing with same-sex attraction, welcome in our church, absolutely, as long as they don't mind sitting next to thieves, adulterers, liars, stealers, and and pornography. Because we're all kind of messed up. You with me this morning? Yes, it's sin, but everybody's got something that they're dealing with. We're, I say it this way. True Life Church isn't here to fix you. We're here to point you to Jesus because he can fix you a whole lot. I can't even fix myself. How am I supposed to fix you? All I can do is point you to the one who can fix everything. Should have been a louder amen after that. Like... You know, what? For, to be relevant for me, you know what it meant for me? It meant having to relearn how to talk to people. Because I grew up in kind of the Christian subculture bubble. And so I thought that the way you talk to people was to speak like you lived in the King James version of the Bible. And I mean, I, I mean, literally, I would go to church on Sunday morning and there'd be a guy in a suit and he would shake my hand. And up to that point, we're pretty good. And then all of a sudden he goes, how thou art thou brother Mike? Like, what? What did you just say, man? And I think even at a, a different a different level, we can, we can fall victim to the same thing. We kind of get used to the words and the churchiness that we have and the things that we say when we're around Christian people. And then we get around people who don't follow Christ and who don't serve him and we say things and they're like, what are you talking about? What, what is sanctification? What does that even mean? What is righteousness? What, what is that? What, what is it? Born again, how do you pull that one off? I mean, are you crawling back in? I mean, what? How, how is that happening? Seriously, I, I had a guy literally ask me that question. And he was dead serious. He said, this whole born again thing, how does that, how does that happen? I'd grown up in the church and I'm going, I don't really know how that it forced me to go back and study and figure out how do I say this to someone who hasn't grown up around what I've grown up around. And listen, it's important that we understand relevance because right now in our city, in our county, you know how many people are actively involved in a church? Fewer than 8%. Those are the, those are the real statistics. Those are the demographics. We researched it before we launched the church. That's how we knew we were coming to a city with need is we knew that fewer than 8% are active involved with the church on Sundays. Do you understand that's 92%, more than 92% of our community is somewhere else other than one of these meetings like this this morning. That's not good. You know why? Because the church lost its, re- it's lost its authority and lost its relevance. We're going to get it back. Now, I, have to, I have to relearn how to talk to people. So, can I just tell you, if, you're, if you find yourself talking like you live in the King James Bible, don't do that. Please. 
It's kind of weird. And this is 20, it's about to be 2014, so you should stop. (laughs) Relevance in our church means we're not going to back away from talking about the issues at hand, the issues that are pertinent, because Jesus did the same thing. You know, you look at Jesus Christ, and he was constantly messed with because of who he associated with. Why? Because he wanted to deal with the issues that were real. He's hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes. And I mean, when's the last time you hung? That's maybe not a good question to ask. <laughs> we fixed that in the recording, Joel. <laughs> Pull that one out of there. I mean, I, I challenged our lead team with this Monday. I said, guys, we, we have a tendency in church culture <clears throat> to surround ourselves with the people that are polished Christ followers. But we need to be intentional with our time that, yes, we're spending time with polished Christ followers, but we're also intentionally spending time with people whose lives are a little bit messy. You got to, or you lose relevance. If you don't understand the things that are making people's lives messy right now today, you have no way to help them through it. So we've got to be a place where we're passionate for being relevant. Here's the third one. The perfect true lifer has a heart for accepting people. The perfect true lifer has a heart for accepting people. We have a saying here. It goes like this. We say, you can belong before you believe. At True Life Church, you can belong. You can be a part of something. You can find family here. You can find people who care about you and who want to hang out with you and who want to spend time with you, even before we agree on all the spiritual stuff. Because we believe that if we're just consistent in loving you and building relationship with you, and pointing you towards Jesus, that he'll take care of the rest. In fact, we've seen it play out multiple times in our church. We have, we have families, I can think of one family in particular, that on any given night, there's probably 15 to 20 people under the age of 25 in their kitchen or living room or basement. And many of them started out hanging in that, out in that house. I'm talking about David and Julie Austin. There are many of them who started out hanging out in that house with no relationship with Jesus Christ and who now serve Jesus Christ passionately. Why? Because there's a culture of acceptance in that house. There have been kids with stories you wouldn't believe. Julie's told me some of them. And because somebody accepted them and somebody loved them, they found Christ. And I, I, I'm sorry, but this is never going to be a place where when somebody walks through the doors who's clearly carrying a lot of baggage and a lot of sin, this is never going to be a place where I stand at the stage and try to tell them to go fix it and come back when they're fixed. In fact, if you're the one that's perfect and got everything together, you're going to feel uncomfortable here because the rest of us are kind of a mess. And, and I believe in a church that has a culture of acceptance. It doesn't mean that we shy away from calling sin, sin. We We preach what's in the Bible, we teach what's in the Bible, and we don't believe it's changed, and we believe it's for today. The same stuff that was sin then is still sin now, and we're going to say it, but it doesn't mean we don't love and accept you, and it doesn't mean that we don't wrap arms around every person that walks through the door. We've got to have a heart for accepting people. Matthew 9, 11 to 13 says, but when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. 
Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. Can I just tell you, I know I'm a sinner. I just, I know. But I know I'm being perfected through the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And you want to know how I got there? Somebody accepted me while I was still a sinner. Somebody made me feel important. I belonged to something before I believed everything that they believed. And you got to help. If we're going to create the perfect church, it's it's impossible to have a perfect church, but just go there with me for a second. We've all got to be in on it together. We've all got to have a commitment to authenticity. We've all got to have a passion for being relevant. And we've all got to have an accepting, an accepting, a heart for accepting people. A heart for accepting people. We're not here to fix you. Jesus is. Here's the next one. The perfect true lifer has an enjoyable spirit. An enjoyable spirit. Now I'll just say it this way. Nobody wants to hang around somebody who's grumpy. Right? How? Probably shouldn't do this, but quick survey. How many have ever felt like church was not fun? <laughs> That's pretty much everybody. All right. So you want to know one of the reasons, one another word you could use for enjoyable, one of the things that's very important to us at True Life is we want church to be fun. That's why we end a Christmas service with throwing out completely useless glow-in-the-dark puffer balls. That has no evangelistic value whatsoever. Nobody caught one and thought, Jesus, thank you. No, it's because we think church ought to be fun, man. We ought to be enjoying ourselves. When people go and hang out with Christ followers, it ought to be the most fun. You know what I heard someone say? This, this got back to me. I didn't hear it directly. But after the Christmas party we threw for our life team a few weeks ago, there was a family who specifically said, we weren't going to come because we could not connect a Christian party with the word fun. We thought there's no way a Christian Christmas party is actually fun. But we're so glad we came because we had more fun than we've had in a long time. Good job. Yeah, that's worth clapping about. February 9th, when we throw our second party, second anniversary party, it's going to be fun, man. I'm just guaranteeing you there's going to be fun in this room. Lots of it. It's going to be great. Maybe we could just get rid of the stage and put like a big bouncy house up here. I say it this way, we need to be the best party-throwing church in the world, baby. I mean, we need to be the best party-throwers on the face of the planet. And here's the great thing about the way we throw a party, you're going to remember it the next day. All right, church, (laughs) we've got to have an enjoyable spirit. Church should be fun. No grumpy old fuddy-duddies allowed. Not allowed. You want to know the secret to this? Really, here's the secret to this, just because... Uh, Christians are terrible at this for some reason. We just can't take ourselves so seriously. I mean, we just can't. I mean, and this is something I've learned over the years. In all honesty, like 10 years ago, I don't think I could have been roasted at the Christmas party the way I was. I think I would have been upset and offended. But I had so much fun. Why? Because I just realized I don't really have that much to do with this. I'm just the guy that's dumb enough to listen to what God says and do it, and he's put some really smart people around us, and we've got a cool church coming out of the whole thing. 
We just can't take ourselves that seriously. You gotta have fun. Proverbs 15, 13 says, a glad heart makes a happy face. Go, go ahead, just look at the person next to you. Practice your happy face right now. Just do it. Give them a big old cheesy. Come on. A glad heart makes a happy face. A broken heart crushes the spirit. And can I just tell you something? No matter what's going on in your life, the joy of the Lord can be your strength. You can choose to find some happiness, to find some joy in serving God and being a part of his church and being a part of his family together. So let's be a place where it's, that's why we do ice cream trucks in the summer. Because it's fun. Nobody's getting saved out there licking a popsicle, but we're having fun. It's important to us. All right, here's the last one. And this is the, this is the linchpin. With this one, none of our other values work. Authentic, relevant, accepting, enjoyable. And here's the last one. We must have a hunger for God's power. We must have a hunger for God's power. Kevin, you guys can, you can start coming up here if you want. <clears throat> none of the other stuff works if we have not invited God to show up and do what only he can do. None of it works. Only the power of God can change lives. And I believe with all of my heart that God does not just want to be learned and understood. He hasn't left us with the Bible and his word just so we have a historical document for intellectual knowledge, but he also wants to be experienced. Today, during worship, I hope you felt God's presence. It's not just something we want to talk about. We want you to sense that he's real. We want you to feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And let me tell you, this is why we do 21 days of prayer and fasting in January. Because we're trying to cultivate a, an atmosphere where we're hungry for God to show up and do stuff that only he can do. Because without that, man, the, the rest of it just doesn't work it's all fluff it's all fun and games it's all hype and listen i'm not interested in just hype i want to see the power of god show up and change people's lives that's what i want first corinthians chapter 2 1 to 5 says when i first came to you dear brothers and sisters i didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you god's secret plan for i decided that while i was with you i would forget everything except jesus christ the one who was crucified i came to you in weakness timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Now, this is my favorite part of the scripture right here. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust, not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. You know what's so important is that we don't trust in a I hope you don't trust in hearing a great message every Sunday because I'm pretty sure we're going to flop every once in a while. Pretty sure you're going to say things from the stage that you maybe shouldn't have said and ask Joel to edit them like today. But you know what? We don't put our hope and our trust in a person. We don't, we don't put our hope and our faith in anyone up here because nobody up here can change your life. But if we're a place that's in love with the, the teaching and the the instruction of God, and we're hungry for His power, He will respond to it. He responds. And He'll show up. 
And in spite of the things that we fail at, in spite of the mistakes that we make, He will do miracles simply because He's responding to the prayers of His people. I heard a a pastor say it this way one time, will you do battle where it counts the most? And that's in prayer. And we've got to be a church. We've got to be a culture that's hungry for the power of God, that's hungry for God to show up and do the stuff that you can't do, I can't do, only He can do. I'll say it this way. We've got to be a church that works like it depends on us, but prays and understands that ultimately it depends on Him. Because it does. It's His. It's His house. And it was right here at this point when I was studying for this message that literally in my office there in my basement at my desk, I began to just kind of feel the presence of God settle in and just, He just was just showing up and kind of just propping me up and reminding me that it's important that we be on the same page, that we have clear vision and clear values. And I hope you've got them today. We're leading people to experience a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ and to become fully devoted followers of Him. And if we're going to be a church that speaks with authority, we've got to be a church that sticks to the values. We can't accomplish the vision without living out the values. And what are the values? We're going to be people who are authentic. We're going to have relevance. We're going to be accepting. You can belong before you believe here. It's going to be enjoyable. And most important, it's going to be powerful. Can I just can I get you fired up to the next several weeks, church? They're going to be powerful. The month of January, I mean, you just wait. You wait till the you see the worship culture in this place when 21 days of prayer and fasting is going on. It's like it's like we're here and all of a sudden it just goes whoop. Because people are hungry. And so I just I want to cultivate that in you today. I want to get you thinking about it. Get it stirred up today. We've got to be people who are hungry for the power of God. Come on, are you with me this morning? Amen. Would you close your eyes?